are uh, in a series called uh, Faith That Works, and it's out of James, and this is week six or something like that. Um, and what we've been saying is James was the brother of John, I mean, the brother of Jesus, and he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And so just kind of as a passing note, like what would it take you to convince your brother or sister that you were God? You know, you know what I mean? I mean, you think, or, or your sibling, what it would take them to, and so for me, this is one of my big arguments for Jesus' deity, is that his brother believed it. And if your brother or your sister believes it, you probably did a pretty good job convincing them, because my brother couldn't do anything to convince me he's God, and he tried. Um, and so, uh, so it, 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 there's this thing, he writes this book, and it's a little disjointed. And so if you read the book of James all the way through, he'll talk on one subject, and then just jump to another one, and then jump to another one, then jump back to this one, and jump back to that one. So we've kind of just brought it down into, into pieces that we could focus on in one week, or else we'd be jumping all over the place. And so the, the whole point of James is this verse uh, right here that says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And so what we've been talking about is this idea that our faith is going to be tested. We all want endurance. We all want to win the race. We all want to be fastest. We all want it to, to kind of to work out for us. But it's that testing that's hard, right? If you've ever been on, a, on a, a, a team, we love to win. But when the coach says, okay, we're going to do conditioning, everybody hates that. You know, you go, oh, man, can't we win without conditioning? No, we all know this. We can't get thin without dieting. We can't get strong without lifting. We can't, I mean, we know this. We can't get smart without studying. And so God knows this too. And he says, through James, he says, the testing of your faith, this kind of pushing on your faith, this stretching, this difficulty, sometimes things will get placed on you, that produces endurance. And so kind of the overall thing we've been saying is, if you fail the test, don't blame the test, blame your faith. Don't, don't blame it like, oh, if you had to go through what I had to go through, you'd... It, it, blame your faith, because what these are designed to do is give us insight into how we're doing in our relationship with God. And so when we fail the test, we say, okay, God, you're going to have to uh, help me with this situation, or we get other people around us to say, can you help me? I, I didn't do well in this, and I, I need to shore this up. Just like a coach would say, look, you're doing great, but you, you can't, you know, you, you got to do your routes better if you're playing football. You need better routes. So, okay, help me with that. And so you, you help them. So uh, that's what we've been talking about. So we talk about that tests are actually good. The tests, the tests are good. And so we have this guy that says, you need some tests, yo. And uh, he's been there every week. And I love that guy. Um, but let's get away from him because it's annoying me now. And I'm the one who put him up there. So um, when my girls were seven and eight years old, um, we had, if you're a parent, you know kind of the difficulty you face in different areas in raising your children. And, and one of them is this whole area of don't talk to strangers. Be- because as a parent, you want to like, let them know the severity of talking to strangers, but you don't want them living in fear and climbing into your bed every night because of some strange man, right? And so you have this kind of weird thing where you're like, don't 
talk to strangers, but don't be super scared of them. But don't, you know, you be scared enough because, and it's, it's like hard. It's like there's this tension in raising your kids. And, and we do it in all sorts of different things. Well, you know, I can't explain it to you now. You're too young. But if, if, if you know, as you get older, we'll kind of like continue to maybe peel back some of the layers of that. And when my girls were seven and eight years old, I decided to take don't talk to strangers to a new level. Um, and with the amount of wisdom that you all know I have, you can imagine um, what I did. And so w- w- I, I, got, I put them in the... So our car was in the garage, and so um, uh, we all climbed into the car, and I was trying to, in seven- and eight-year-old language, explain to them what to do if they're abducted, okay? Now, they have to know what to do. You, you, gotta, you can't just close your eyes and say, oh, you might scare them or whatever. But on the other hand, you can't like... So, so it, it, it ends up looking something like this. Hey, kids, let's get in the car. You know, yay. Now, let's just say you were in the car uh, with somebody you weren't supposed to be in the car with. I wouldn't go in the car with someone I'm not supposed to go in the car with. Right, no, thank you. Uh, but let's just say, for some reason, you're in the car and someone else is in the car. Well, who's in the car, Daddy? A stranger. I wouldn't talk to him. Great. But you're supposed to get out of the car. Why? Because they're not bad. What did they do? Well, it's, it's what they're going to do. What are they going to do? Well, let's just say that they're bad, and we don't know what they're going to do, so we need to get out of the car. Oh, okay. So we start uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the back seat, and I show them, um, you know, if you can control their air, you can control them, that whole thing. And um, here's how you gouge out the eyes. You come from the inside out, you know. And, you know, and they're like, gouge, you know, is it okay to gouge out people's eyes? No. <laughs> no, unless... You find yourself, and, and for weeks I would be driving. I'm, I'm not the one. Don't, you know, I need my eyes. Right? And so, so you, you, it's just weird, and, and, you're trying to, and you're trying to explain them, like, be, be really cautious, be really scared, but, but don't stay up at night thinking about it. And so, um, and then we went into the uh, uh, trunk. I did not put them in the trunk, okay, before you start calling uh, Child Protective Services. So, uh, you know, and then you kick out the lights, you know, and wave your arm, and um, uh, if you're in the back seat and you can get out, uh, when he gets to a stop sign or something, just get out. And you know, do I have to look both ways? Well, yeah, but, I mean, just, I, I, you know, it's weird. And and so, um, and then you, and then and then we got to the front seat, and so I did the whole thing, you know, try to get people's attention. And then and, and then if none of this works, and the time's right, and you're traveling, just grab the steering wheel and run it into the side of the, into a parked car. Just. Just grab it before, when he's not looking and just run it in the car. And just, just whatever you Because see, what we know as parents is you got to get, we understand the gravity of it. And so we're trying to tell him, whatever you can do, get away, get away, get away. But don't stay up at night thinking about it. Super scary, but not that scary. You don't need counseling, but you do need karate. It's like this whole weird dance we do. And so we're in the front seat, and I'm, I'm, I'm showing them how to just run over, lean over and just crank it down. Again, for weeks I'm driving, like, this is not the time. And, and, and they crank on all stuff. And Emily looks at me, and she gets this big grin on her face. And she's like, 
like I get to crash the car. And I'm realizing she wants to get abducted. Like, she wa- she's like, I can, you can crash the car, you can kick out the lights, you can run out in the street and do whatever you want. And again, there's this tension. Because you're trying to explain to a seven and eight-year-old, be really, really, really careful because you know something they don't know. And yet, you also, on the other hand, want to say, hey, it's going to be okay. I, I got you. And this is where James is in James chapter 1. Uh, kind of the same idea of like, uh, and the difference with James is, he's going straight to it. You're going to die. Like, like he's not holding anything back. The problem James has is we're not convinced. See, for us, it's different. For us, James is going, you are going to die. And we're like, yeah, all right. Let's, let's read it. James chapter 1, verse 13. He starts out and he says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. It's a great place to start because, again, don't blame the test. Blame your faith, right? God isn't tempting you. It's not beyond everything. I mean, if God tempts me, there's, I have no chance, right, because he's smarter and more powerful. He can make, give a temptation. I don't have a chance. He's not doing it, okay? He's not tempting us. And so it's, a, it's just a great place to start there to say, look, he's, not, he, he's allowing things. Remember, the testing of your faith produces endurance, but he's not, he's not doing it himself. Now here, check this out. This verse, you can read it one of two ways. This could be a really discouraging verse, the next one we're going to read, or it can be a really um, encouraging verse. Verse 14, each one is tempted when? By his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. Now, there are a couple ways you can look at that. One is the discouraging way. Um, we're all evil. <laughs> Sorry. You know, that, that's the discouraging way. You're evil. I'm evil. That's why I told you when we sat down to say, look at someone and say, boy, do you have some problems? I was going to have you say, boy, are you evil? But you wouldn't have gotten it. And then people would have walked out and stuff like that. And we can't have, we can't have that. Um, well, I guess we can. Uh, but, right? Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire... He's dragged away and enticed. Now listen, that's the negative side. We're all evil. We all have this desire. We all have this thing the Bible calls the flesh. We all have this thing. That the Bible says the heart of man is, and, and, and this includes women, so don't be nudging your husbands. The heart of man is exceedingly wicked. Who can know it? We're all going to try and go right up to the edge. We're all going to try and you know, see how much we can get away with. We're all evil. That's the bad news. The good news is, at least you know where the problem is, right? It's you. Now, now listen, I know that sounds terrible, but think about it. Imagine if it were out of your control. Imagine if it was like, um, each one is tempted when their husband, that lazy, you know, uh, whatever, uh, is, you know, drags you away and entices you, you know, or whatever. Or, or each one is tempted when Satan and, and minions of demons swarm down and cart you off like an abduction and there's nothing you can do about it. See, then you just sit in fear the whole time going, I don't, I don't know what if, it's not God, we know that. It's us. 
So that's encouraging to me because I know if it's my own evil desire, maybe James is going to move on to tell me, give me some insight on how I can get past that evil desire. If I'm aware of it, maybe now I can start taking steps to trap for it if you're a programmer, okay? And so he says, uh, but each one is tempted by his own evil desire. He's dragged away and enticed. Now watch the slippery slope of temptation that happens. James says, then, after desire is conceived, there's a sense that there's this union that happens. And see, we've all, we've all been there. All of us. Even if you say, I don't even believe in God, you've experienced what I'm about to tell you, where all of a sudden, a thought enters your mind, something ent- there's something where you go, oh, that'd be kind of cool. And there's something else that says, eh, you're not supposed to do that. Okay, we've all been there. Once we click it, or say it, or start the process, sin, uh, 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 that desire is conceived, and it gives birth to sin. Now, all of a sudden, we're in sin. We go from being tempted, we go from being enticed, and then all of a sudden, we go to sin. But it doesn't, the slope doesn't stop there. James makes this radical statement that all of us will will just shove under the rug. I'm tempted to do it myself. Well, figuratively speaking, he says this. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. How did it start? It started with our own evil desire. We're dragged, we're enticed away, whatever. And now death? You mean to tell me, me, I got my evil desire, I got you so far. Yep, I got my own problems. Great. No, no problem. Death. And yet those of us who've been around long enough have watched this very thing happen. We've seen marriages completely die. We've seen people lose everything. All started with one little thought, one little thing. One little piece of candy. One tiny little piece of candy. Nothing wrong with candy. It's like, it's like you drives up, hey, little boy, little girl, you want some candy? I like candy. Because what happens? When you're seven, you overestimate the reward, candy, and you underestimate dying. <laughs> like, like, you, like the connection for adults, for us, for those who read the news, for those who've read all the stories, we're like, no, no candy for you. No, you don't understand. When you go to get that little piece of candy, you could die. This is where James is. It, you, this, this, this desire, this enticement, this thing, if you can control that, if you could get a handle on that, if you could see what it's like on the other end, death, you'd go, this is not worth this. It's not even worth the risk. Because we have to somehow connect this slippery slope to death with that initial thing. I'll show you a a picture that um, really kind of illustrates this. This is Stone Mountain, Georgia. Okay, it's kind of hard to see, but but basically the way this stone is in Georgia is it it has a, a... a slope that's really gradual. 
It's a super gradual slope. And so what happens is, as you're walking, you never see the edge. You can always kind of see more in front of you. And so you get this sense of, oh, you know, oh, it's, it's up here, it's up here, I'm good, I'm good. But what's happening is, your body is beginning to adjust. And so what, hap- what first started out as you just standing there, now you're kind of leaning back a little bit, and so you don't fall forward. And your body just gets used to this. And you keep going and keep going and keep going. And the reason a lot of people die on this rock is once they slip, they die. Because the slope is so steep, there's no way to regain yourself. The angle is too, is too, too much. And so, but so, so they put this fence here. And the problem with the fence is the fence is located in a spot that doesn't feel like you're going to fall at all. Right? But the people who put the fence there know that people die if they continue to walk out on the slope. And so they put a fence here. And there's a few things I want you to understand about this slope and how it relates to our temptation. One is, if you climb over the fence, you're not going to die. And that's the problem. There's a fence there, and you climb over the fence, and on the other side of the fence, on this side of the fence, it really doesn't feel like anything different, and you said I was going to die, and James said I was going to die, and I don't know what the big problem is, and guess what? I'm holding on to the fence. I'll be fine, and look, oh, look, see that? Hey, did I die? No, I didn't die. Do, do, do. You know, you start dancing around, you know, you take a step out from the fence, whatever, and all of a sudden, you get comfortable on the other side of the fence. And so each step, and you're like, you can still see the edge, you can still see the edge, everything's fine. So, so there's a few things we know. One is you, you get over the fence, you'll probably be fine. You didn't die. All the things, all the signs, you know, all the signs that are all over. Don't go on the other side of the fence. Don't go on the other side of the fence. You're way smarter than them. You went on the other side of the fence. Everything's fine. Here's the other thing that I know about this rock. People fall to their death at all different places. See, depending on your body type, and how you're created, and how you're made, and all this. You know, I don't know how it works if like tall people fall here. Or I don't know quite what the thing is. You can do a study on it. It's on Google. Uh, but but what, where I might get to and be okay, you've already died two steps back. I might see you farther and go, oh, but once I slip, I can't, the, my momentum will, will not stop me. Here's the other thing about this mountain that's so weird, and you can kind of see it in this picture. If you look at the horizon right now, the horizon's crooked. I don't know if you notice that, but the the, the horizon kind of goes like that. The reason it's crooked is because the person taking the picture is already compensating. It's just a natural, we naturally compensate. And so it's not supposed to be this much, so this much, so I, I adjusted it to be regular. No big deal. It's just a little bit more. Go back to the other one and then go back. See, we've only made a little bit of an angle, but that's a true horizon. See, as we begin to adjust our, what truth is, what center is, what, what, what horizon is, we have to adjust it just a little so that we now, our brains go, yeah, this isn't too bad. This is what happens. Let me show you the other side of uh, this mountain. That's it right there. So the person on the bottom uh, in, the, 
in that grassy area, that, that's a person there. So you get an idea. It's a 600-foot drop when you finally drop, right? Now, here's the thing. If you're on the grass and you see your kid on the slope, what are you doing? You're freaking, right? You're like, get me in a helicopter, what, you know, whatever, and you're waving to them. And here's what you're doing. You're going, hey, don't panic, but just turn right around. And what's your kid going? It's okay. I'm on the other side of the fence, and it's fine. Look what I can do, right? And you're going, turn around. Why? Because you know something they don't know. This is the heart of God when it comes to this passage. See, we say, look at me. I can handle it. It's not a big deal. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. And God's going, listen, I put the fences up for a reason. I know where the boundary is. And your life is going to be full and rich, and you're not going to miss out on anything on my side of the fence. But there's that little piece of candy. Imagine this. Imagine if your kid, going back to the analogy of abduction, since it's so scary. Imagine if your kid, um, if you say, you know what? Okay, look. I know how much you like candy. I like candy. Let's just make this the rule. Do not take any candy from strangers unless you're sure you can get away and it's really good candy. Okay, so... If you're sure you can get away, normally we'd put the fence here. Normally I'd say don't talk to strangers. But you know what? You're, you're different. There's something special about you. And you're fast and strong, and we did all those years of jujitsu, and we paid all that money. Might as well put it to good use. If you can get away, and it's really good candy, go ahead and snatch it and run and get away with it. And so they, then your kids do what they normally do. How about Mentos? No, Mentos, no. That's not good candy. You can't have, no, Mentos are terrible. You can't have, what about Jolly Ranchers? Well, what, what, what flavor? Grape. Have them toss it to you. Have them toss the Jolly Ranchers. You can get a little bit closer, but no. What about a Reese's? Oh, take that sucker and run, man. You get Reese's, I mean, come on. That's worth the risk. You know, Three Musketeers? Nah, stuff inside. What is it? Anyway, it's like, you're paying for air. Sugar, you get all the calories, none of the substance, right? Milk, Three Musketeers, get them out of here right? What about Snickers? Just get in the van for the Snickers. They might have more Snickers, right? Okay. Uh, right. It's stupid, right? I mean, uh, uh, obviously. Uh, uh, obviously. Why? Because it's candy. It's candy. Whether it's Mentos or Sensens. Remember those, those of you who are older and had an alcohol problem? Sensens. Or, 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 or whatever. I mean, it, it, it's all candy. It doesn't matter how good it is. Because the wages, the payment for that candy is death. And there's marriage and life and all this stuff. I can just go down the list. Died, 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 died. Why, candy? What? A Jolly Rancher killed him? Yes. Because what happens is our sin nature, our flesh, entices us, drags us away. And when that has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And you know what happens with sin? Here's the weird thing about sin. We nurture it. 
And you've probably gone through this. It's your baby now. I've given birth to sin. It's not a problem. It's no big deal. Don't talk to it. You don't understand. And what happens is when sin grows up and it's out of control because it's an adolescent teen now and it's reached puberty and now you wish you could just get rid of it, but you can't, it brings forth death. That's the cycle. And what James is trying to say is, don't talk to strangers. Start back here. Start with knowing your sin nature. Now, so what do we do? Because that's kind of frightening, right? God has provided, through his word and through his faithfulness, a way to avoid it all. This is what's so exciting. We're going to switch from James for a little bit to 1 Corinthians. It says this, No temptation has seized you, has abducted you, has grabbed you, except what is common to man. In other words, don't blame the test. We've all gone through it, okay? I know she's annoying, way more annoying than this one, but too bad you married her. That's the way it goes. I know he is horrible. He's a terrible person. All he does is watch sports. Got it. Not, not, we, listen, we're all going through the same thing, or we all will end up going through the same type of struggles and temptations and trials. And so it's really encouraging that Paul writes, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He was faithful from the very beginning when he spoke the world into existence. He was faithful when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. He was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's faithful to the people in Israel. He was faithful to, uh, 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 as they move forward into all the different periods of that group. He was faithful when he died on the cross. He's gone through it all. He understands it all. God is faithful. When when our sin comes over here, sorry you guys are the sin group, but I apologize. When when our flesh and our sin, when we get that, that spark, God is faithful in that moment. He doesn't go, why'd you think that, you freak? You're on your own. No, he goes, I know, I understand. I had that same thought when I was on earth. And you've got a way of escape. Listen, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted, or he will not let you be tempted beyond what you, are, you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. There is always a way out. Always. Always. The problem is, sometimes our escape costs us a lot. You remember that guy in the desert who fell in the rock and he got his arm caught in there and he was stuck there? for? They made like a, a movie out of it. 127 hours. That was fantastic. Thank you. Uh, yes, 127 hours. I would have said it was 48 days, but that's just because I'm an idiot. Right? So, yeah, they made this movie. They got it. You got it. He's stuck. He's going to die. What does he have to do? He has to cut off his arm. Did he have a way of escape? Yes. He did. Is he still alive? Yeah, he is. But that escape was terrible. See, you know what we want? We want just move the rock. I know I got myself into this, but God, just move the rock. I just, just get it out of here. There's a, uh, there's a movie that has an escape scene in it that I want to show us. Not the entire movie. Uh, and it's not 100 and 
40 hours or whatever it was. But you've probably seen The Great Escape. That's a very old Steve McQueen, really good movie. It's, it's not that one. Um, uh, or like Escape from Alcatraz with uh, Clint Eastwood. Not that one. Um, but there's all these great movies with escapes. And this one, to me, is, is by far the best one. I won't tell you how it ends. But uh, when I saw that movie for the first time, I cried at that scene. Yeah. Okay, just a little insight. As you watch that movie and you watch this escape, it costs something to escape. See, when you know you're going to die, you'll do anything to get away. You'll plan, you'll scheme, you'll do things you thought you could never do. Why? Because you know you're going to die if you stay. And so you do whatever you can to escape. And in that movie, uh, they go through quite a bit. It's a great, Toy Story 3 is a fantastic movie yeah, if you haven't seen it. Uh, here's my point for this morning if you're filling out your, your uh, bulletins there. Escape isn't easy, but it's worth it. Escape isn't easy. God will provide a way of escape. But instead of in the form of moving boulders, it might be sending down a knife. You know, instead of it being just like a check in the mail, uh, you know, for a million dollars, it's some scissors to cut up your credit card. Instead of like, you know, Prince Charming c- coming in on a stallion and, and, and sweeping you up off your feet, it might be just working with the husband you have. And it's, yeah. That's right. I'm not, no, I'm kidding. Right? It, 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 see, the thing is, the, the problem is we get to this whole thing, like if you knew what I was going through, but God's there going, it's just candy. What you want is just candy. It's not worth it. And, and when you get that thought and you think, man, I, 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 I really would like a relationship, but, and I know she's not a believer, and I know, I'm, and, and God's going, okay, you know what? Listen, if you think you're going to save her, just grab the candy and see if you can get out of there. No, he's going, don't, don't talk to... What are you doing? I put the fence there for a reason. Why, why are you hanging on the fence? Why are you climbing on the fence? Yeah, I can see. Yes, you can stand on the fence. Great job. Get back on this side of the fence. No one's ever died on this side of the fence. They all die on that side of the fence. And so our way of escape, we want it to be candy and escape. And God says this unbelievable thing after James. So we were reading James 13, 14, and 15. And so James says this thing. It's death. It's death. When sin, uh, when sin is born and, and grows up, it gives birth to death. He says this, James 1, 16. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. See, forget candy. God doesn't want you to have candy, okay? It gives you cavities, right? A little candy now and then is fine. But God has designed you, has made you for deep, intimate relationship, not only with Him, but with those around you. That's what God wants. He doesn't want these little 
pleasure things, one here and one there, and if I, because he knows if you, go, if you go after that, even if you think you can get away, just jump on the fence, jump back. I just jumped over and jumped back. If you slip, you're going to die. And he doesn't want you messing around with it. Every good and perfect gift, the ones that God wants you to have, the ones he's designed you for, everything on the other side of the fence, they come from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Escape is not easy. It, ra- it rarely is. You're going to have to give up something, most likely. Most likely, there's going to be some type of deal where you're just like, ah, I would have designed an escape route, but it wouldn't have had a bunch of, like, a fire pit at the end. Didn't quite see that one coming, right? Or, or, or I, I want an escape route, but I want it to be easy. Why not a check? You know, come on, help a brother out. I, I, I could, I'll, I, I'll tithe on it, I promise. God's like, no, how about you just change your spending habits? Eee. That would mean I'd have to get rid of, yeah. Escape is never easy, but it's worth it because the end result is death, death of your marriage, death of your dignity, regret, living a life of regret you wish wasn't there. All this death, all these mistakes, all this feeling of, oh, if I had only stayed on this side of the fence. And unfortunately, we get to this part of our lives and we go, I would give anything. Forget the way of escape. What did I have to do? Cut up my credit cards? I would have done way more than that, knowing what I know now. I would have given up candy forever, knowing what I know now. God does know. Now, let me show you the just unbelievably, incredibly fun part of this. Because you're not on your own, right? You don't have to just will yourself to not like candy anymore. God is right there. Just before this whole section of Scripture, verse 12 of James, he says this. Uh, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Uh, James 16. Uh, I did that one. Okay, James 4, 7. Sorry, a few chapters later. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now listen. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. We stand on the edge and we're like, God, I'm slipping. Come save me. Come save me. Come save me. And he says, I'm right here. Just reach out your hand and I'll draw near to you. Now, listen. Listen to what it says in, in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it's not behind me, but listen. It says, be self-controlled and alert, right? Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The Greek there literally means to drink up. In other words, just wants to completely destroy you. And then it says, but resist him, standing firm in your faith, knowing that your brothers who are in the world have gone through the same type of suffering. And then watch this. This is going to blow your mind. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered for a little while. In other words, you've gone the way of escape. He said, look, this is your way out, and you've done it. You've gone after it, and it's cost you. He says this, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast? You see, God 
No temptations overtaken any of us that we've all haven't experienced. And no temptations overtaken us that Jesus didn't himself not only confront, but conquer. And his cost was everything. But God himself, the God of the universe, that faithful God, who says, will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able, but will always provide a way of escape. That God will himself come underneath, strengthen, establish you, say, well done, good job. And you will not miss anything, any view, any experience on the other side of the fence. The God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you suffered for a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.